Created uh, and uh, from Correctionville in 2015, he went to Ozark Christian College. And uh, where, where, what's the town again, Jimmy? For, didn't write it down. Joplin, Missouri. Um, and that is where he met his wife, Sarah. Sarah is from Shawnee, Kansas, or Missouri. Kansas, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Um, Jimmy, at Ozark Christian College, majored in church planting. And that's and graduated in 2018. Well, that's really interesting. He got to plant new, he, how to start up new churches. Sarah majored in biblical justice. And when she said that, I looked at her and I said, Biblical justice, like you go courtrooms or something? You know? But no, so I made him come up with one sentence, and it took a while, but it says, being part of Jesus' plan for redeeming people that nobody wants to deal with. Isn't that good? Sarah graduated in 2017. Now, Jimmy graduated in 2018, right? Okay, okay. And she had to wait around for Jimmy to get out of school, so she worked as a children's minister and home care hospice, waiting, yeah, waiting for Jimmy to graduate. Jimmy and Sarah were married at his parents' farm in Correctionville in 2018. So on another day, if I'm up here, they up there, it's a great story of faith, how they found their home that they live in today. It's a wonderful story. When they first moved here, Jimmy worked as a seasonal job at Little Sioux Park, and Sarah worked at the coffee shop at Correctionville. Sarah is currently the manager at Moville Latte. In 2019, Jim and started working at Correctionville Lumber. That's where I first met him, I think. And recently has become an independent contractor. Jimmy and Sarah uh, live in the country, and they, have, they love animals, and they have many critters. I hold up her lots of stories about. They're so cute. Jimmy, we are blessed to have you fill our pulpit. Come on up. Hey, Jason. You don't have to clap yet. You haven't heard the whole thing. So, <laughs> but anyway, I'm so glad that Sarah and I have been coming here for some reason or another. A lot of you guys were very persistent in inviting us to church. And to you, we thank you. So, good morning. Sorry for forgetting to say. And I'm look forward to all speaking engagements, but particularly this one, because it's encouraging to speak with people that you know and whom you know also care about you. See, you guys are a church that is raw but honest, a church that holds tight to the truth but never loses sight of grace. We thank you for being a needle in a haystack, or should I say a diamond in the rough, or many roughs. Sarah and I look forward to today as we do every Sunday. There's an old radio comedian by the name of Fred Allen, and he's quoted by saying that the first Sunday he joined the church choir, 200 people changed the religion. I hope that's not true today. <laughs> Just know I'm the guest speaker. Jim will, in fact, be back. So for the last short while, or long while, for the past five months, Jim has done a phenomenal job about taking us through a series about who? 
Please don't forget. Yes. Starts with a J, ends with Osef. Joseph. And we have learned about a man who seems to have almost perfected what in his life? His morals? Was it his attitude? Was it his skill? His integrity? Maybe all side effects of his faithfulness. The book of Hebrews makes a remark in Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is, odd, is most of the time referred to as the Hall of Faith chapter. And it mentions Joseph, validating that Joseph did have a faith that is to be commended. But what I would like to do today is create a line between two men in Scripture. Maybe I do. I want to create a line between Joseph and Jesus and eventually you. So Jim said throughout this series that Joseph was a blank of Christ. Does anybody remember? He was a, if you're at Sunday school last week, it said at the bottom of the back of that page that Joseph was a four-letter word, don't let your mind wander too much, type. Joseph was a type of Christ. Now, it does not mean in any sort of way that Joseph was Christ thousands of years before Christ was born. What it does mean is that Joseph and God's relationship was profound. And Joseph's faith was so steadfast that when anyone looks at Joseph's life, they will get a small glimpse of how Jesus lived his life about 1,800 years after Joseph had died. So hopefully this will help you remember so Sarah and I, we're always at a loss of what to do on the 4th of July. We never have a plan. It always frustrates us. We have a year to plan. We don't do anything. But this year, we had an excuse. July 1st, my younger brother Colton got married to his now wife, uh, Clara, and in northern Arkansas. So in all the preparations and the celebrations we were making for the wedding, we came back. It's already July 4th. The only thing we had planned was the exciting aspect of work. So when we woke up, we woke up to the much-needed rain, but there was nothing, nothing to do besides work. Long story short, didn't have to work, so we went to the Correctionville and went to the tractor pull there in town. So hopefully I don't offend any of you tractor pullers. We stayed interested in about 20 or so tractors, and then we went back home, and it was only noon. There ceased our plans. <laughs> so we did the true Amer rule Americans tell of too much time. We went on a drive. And as we're winding down the roads, we find ourselves going through Battle Creek. And we go about 10 seconds through Battle Creek, I see this sign, this plywood sign, painted red and yellow, and it says helicopter rides. And I'm like, and I laughed, pointed it out to Sarah, because Battle Creek is about a few houses bigger than Climbing Hill, maybe a little bit more. So we finished driving through, and I turn around, and there's about 20, or more than, there's probably like 20, 30 cars parked east of the old school. So Sarah and I wanted to check it out, drove five seconds back into town, saw the sign again, helicopter rides with an arrow. So we took a turn, took another turn, lo and behold, helicopter that gave rides. So our first time, or our drive turned into a first time flight in a helicopter over the thriving metropolis of Battle Creek. It was, it was awesome, and I will say that's one of the impulse decisions, one of the only impulse decisions that I'm proud of. But anyway, it was the sign 
that pointed us in the right direction. It was the sign that told Sarah and I what we were looking for. A helicopter that gave rides, of course, with a pilot. (laughs) Joseph is like a well-placed sign with an arrow. He is a sign pointing us to the right person, Jesus. You see, Joseph being given the label is accurate. If you look on the screen, there are different parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And I actually was impressed on how many parallels there are. If you look like five down, they even had the same favorite cereal. I'm just kidding. Don't look that hard. But there's about 17. And it's impressive that there's this many attributes that Jesus and Joseph shared. But before we want narrow in on one of these, I want to ask you all hardworking folks, knowledgeable folks, a question. What lasts? What lasts? It's something that we have to consider later on. How many of you had to decide on fence during spring? You might have had to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to put up barbed wire, continuous fence, good-looking but not-so-strong wood fence, hot wire, high tensile wire, or were you even tempted to go back to the dreaded woven wire? What may have made you consider such things is what lasts. Maybe it wasn't fencing. Maybe it was seeds for either the planter or the garden. You got the hundreds of seemingly seed companies that each have their slogan of why they are awesome. And then you have seeds for the garden, all proven to be hardy, but not proven to be frost-proof. Or maybe it wasn't fencing, maybe it wasn't seeds, or maybe it wasn't even the materials of what you should build something out of. Maybe it was the soreness and stiffness that comes after decades of work. Maybe it was the pain of losing someone who you thought had years and years left. Or maybe it was a little bit more simple of the diminishing of that driven mindset or that go-getter mentality that you never thought you'd lose. One of those things, at some point in time, you may have had to ask, what lasts? And even when it comes to Joseph, I mean, this question can even be asked in context to Joseph. Even though Joseph is attributed around 13 chapters in Genesis that all grab our attention of how a man... For a boy from the pit, when his brothers threw him in the pit, sold to slavery, slavery, eventually becoming a man and in a palace, second to only Pharaoh himself, how he could stay faithful through so much pain and prosperity, which we have spent the last five months talking about this man. But what lasts? There's one verse in Exodus that seems to shake those whole 13 chapters. Exodus 1.8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So the story of Egypt oppressing the people of Israel starts. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So in one verse, it seems that authority and honor switches. The authority that Joseph had is forgotten. The honor that Joseph was due for being faithful in God and saving not only Egypt, but his family and other nations is not known. And any reader who does not know the rest of the story or the prophetic aspect and foreshadow of Joseph's life may ask, what lasts? See, there's a story of a young Indian boy who is coming of age to be a brave. 
The tribe had traditions and certain challenges and skills that a boy must learn and accomplish before becoming a brave. Part of the training consisted of forcing the young boy out of the tribe's community for the first time in his life. He would be taken by his father and a few other braves a three days ride out of the camp. Then they would leave him so that he would have to depend on his own skill and his own strength before by himself. So begun the first night of the young boy's life where he was completely alone and could see nobody else. With every grass sway or branch scratch, his muscles locked and his eyes glared to see what could be an enemy tribesman or a wild animal. Seconds felt like hours. Hours felt like days. And finally, daylight broke the starlight. The first illumination of the sun before its rise. But as the boy was just ready to get up, he heard the brush moving behind him. And he heard fallen limbs breaking. He clung to the tree beside him and he glanced to only see with all that fear from the night and he stopped. For standing right behind him was his dad. His father had stood behind him the whole time, faithful to his son, watching over his beloved son because there's always community within the tribe. You see, there's an element in that story that is not named that may have also existed in context of Joseph and his dad and Jesus and his father. If we go back and look at the parallels between Joseph and Jesus' life, I want to focus on just one. The first one, their fathers loved them dearly. On Joseph's side, there was a lot of dysfunction. Joseph was the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife, and it caused jealousy and hatred amongst his brothers. On Jesus' side, well, he had the perfect father, God, But Scripture also says how when Jesus gets older, his family has a very hard time understanding him and who he is supposed to be, even though he's blessed with really good earthly parents. Just think for a second how intimidating it would be to be the parents of Jesus. Because you would have to, at one point, teach, correct, care for, even scold Jesus. Because believe it or not, Jesus at one point was a two-year-old. Keep that in perspective. (laughs) So one of the proofs that Jacob loved Joseph a ton is in Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. All right, pause. I'm going to steal a Jim phrase right now. I don't know everybody's questioning the room right now about the Bible, but Jim would always say rabbit trail. That's what I'm saying, rabbit trail. There's a lot in this verse. Because as much as it says Jacob loved Joseph, proof that Jacob did in fact love his son dearly, it also kind of tells us a lot of what type of dad Jacob was. More than any of his other sons, I don't know if Jacob probably would have wanted that put in the Bible, but it's true. And also made, not got, not gave, not bought, made an ornate robe for him. So one of the statutes Christians believe in is the inerrancy of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed 
Put in simple terms, the Bible that we read from, the Bible that you have, the Bible at home, is 100% true. It is legitimate. It is, in fact, purposeful. It is holy. It's a set-apart book. But when people try to gouge the Bible, some people might, when they question legitimacy, they might make the gouge that it's really old. Well, yes, that is true. But there are more manuscripts that validate the truth and accuracy of Scripture than any other ancient document. Up to three times as many back up the Bible than anything else. They may say history doesn't back it up, which is false. Look up the stories of Sir William Ramsey and more recently Lee Strobel, a historian and journalist who went out to prove how the Bible could not be true, that its claims were false and the exact opposite happened than what they first supposed. Long story short, one of the other validations the Bible has to be in true is its transparency. It's not a book filled with all these perfect people that promise roses and riches. It's people that are real, who have a good and bad side, just like Jacob. Jacob is this huge character of the Bible, yet in my opinion, he is not not a good dad. Some of his sons do really, really bad stuff because of his negligence. And it's not just Jacob. There's characters like Samson. There's people in the book of Judges that make you cringe. There's people even like David, who the Jews thought was this perfect king. Just like Solomon, Israel as a nation has all these troubles. And so many more people, the Bible is truthful, that have this negative or ugly, but real side that God wants you to know about. And the Bible is open about all of this, which almost brings me full circle. You see, when people sometimes enter church, they think, God cannot deal with what I have done. There's no way He can redeem me. False. There's so many people in the Bible that God is very clear. They did, they were, He was faithful even when they were faithless. And whether it was in their middle age or at the end of their days, they sooner or later may have figured it out. And even Joseph, That's why a big deal, Jim said last Sunday or the Sunday before, that nothing bad is said about Joseph. The only thing that we may be able to critique is that when Joseph was a teenager, he's kind of a little arrogant. Comes before his brothers and says, hey, I had a dream that all of you are going to bow down to me. Didn't go well. He probably could have been wiser about the timing of that. But when Joseph even, being this stand-up man, he's only a type. He is only a sign just like the rest of the Old Testament, points forward. Because amongst all this truth, these real stories, this reality, stories both good and bad, comes the climax that comes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus, who fulfilled all that was in the Law and Prophets. So now back to proving that God loved Jesus dearly. His Father loved Him dearly. Mark 1.11 Mark 1.11 says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You see, God says this after Jesus is baptized, which is a big deal. Jesus was baptized. Baptism Sunday coming up, Jesus did what he asks us to do. Baptism symbolizing that you were brought down, that you, when you go into the water, you bring back up. You die with Christ. You come back up claiming your new life. And But when Jesus does this, he's around 30. So why, why does this matter? 
Well, you see, there's only 10 whopping verses of Mark's book before this verse. Before God says this, the rest of Mark's book is dedicated in describing and explaining who Jesus is and what he did. The point being, Jesus hasn't done anything yet when God says this. He hasn't started his ministry when he hears the words from his father, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He had a dad in his corner. You see, with both Joseph and Jesus, despite Joseph not having a good dad, despite Jesus having an earthly family who did not understand him at times, they both were loved deeply by their fathers. So, now, why is that a big deal? Well, you didn't forget the question, did you? What lasts? What lasts? What lasted for Joseph was not an eternity on earth with his dad. What lasted for Joseph was his steadfast faithfulness in God. What lasted for Jesus was his steadfast faithfulness in obeying his father. In response to what? What did Joseph know of God that made him have a faithfulness like that? What did Jesus know about his dad, God, that made him have a faithfulness and obedience, as Philippians says, even to the point of death on a cross? I don't know what you're thinking right now. You may be thinking about your parents. You may be thinking your parents were great. You may be thinking your parents were bad. You may be thinking, Jimmy, please wrap it up soon. I'm almost there. But what lasts for you? You may be thinking, whatever you may be thinking, there is an odd verse that I would like to pause on. It's 2 Timothy 2, 11-13. The saying is trustworthy. For, so through this verse, it's basically like, this is the attribute to God, and this is our response to it. There's like, it comes like twofold. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him... We will also live with Him, what baptism symbolizes. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. But if we are faithless, He is faithful. No, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Think on that. So when you are looking to God as a good father, or more so when we are looking to Jesus as one who we are told should give everlasting concern, should give everlasting provision, should give everlasting care, more accurately described as love, look, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. So do you know the answer to what lasts? Why would Joseph decide as a 17-year-old boy whom his brothers just threw into a pit, took him out briefly just so they could sell him into slavery to Egypt, what did Joseph decide as a young boy was going to have to last him? Why did he respond with that faith? What did Jesus decide about his father that was going to have to last him even though he knew the cross was coming? God's love. God's love is what lasts. You see, since Jim is so good at the application part of every sermon, I thought that I should remind you, if I was just a few years younger, 
Jim has three times the life experience of me. So I had to bring someone in to help me with that part, and I brought, I brought no other than Sheriff Andy Taylor. I would whistle the tune for you, but it would be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, so I won't do that to you. But we're, we're about to watch a short clip that reflects what we are talking about. To give you context, Sheriff Andy Taylor is confronting a drifter who has been coming through town and has had a bad influence on the sheriff's eight-year-old son, Opie. So Opie has just come back from eating a chicken and pie dinner with this drifter, Mr. Brown, who perhaps stole the menu items. That's where we come in. So what Andy demonstrates in the clip is loving his son even though Opie has not obeyed, even though Opie has not stayed faithful towards his dad. He's made the wrong choice. Andy stays faithful, pursuing only what is best for his son because isn't that a true love? Looking out for the one you love. Though it may put you in a tight place, though it may make you uncomfortable as our Sunday school lesson was about, isn't that love? It's to confront yourself at times, if not others. Both Joseph and Jesus had fathers that loved them dearly, and so do you. 
The God that Joseph knew, the Father that Jesus prayed to, is also our God. The love the church boasts of having is brought to you by no one other than Jesus Christ, who died for our sins out of the obedience to God and to the benefit of us. A faithfulness that was alive in Joseph that has been carried through time to make even some of us deem our sons with that name Joseph. It was the faithfulness Jesus had to fulfill a plan to give you the choice to make Him Lord or Savior, and as the Bible says, so you may have everlasting life. But you are also blessed with living that life right now. There's a theologian and author by the name of Matthew Bates, and he came out a few years ago with a book. And he argues from a perspective that faith, the word faith that we read in the Bible, the faithfulness that we've been referring to that Joseph and Jesus have had and are have, is more closely correlated with the word allegiance. His book was saved by allegiance alone. Where our faith merely is not merely us saying, like, yes, God exists, or yes, I believe that God is real. No, our faith would be better, or could also be described as an allegiance, ally, where it's arm in arm, fighting together. Jesus was a, Joseph was a type of Christ. Jesus was God's own son, bringing the heavenly kingdom on earth. We are ambassadors to Christ. Not merely just the faith saying, yes, God, you exist, but having an allegiance and faith of, yes, God, I will work with you. I will do as you ask. You see, because we should be encouraged this morning that even though we don't know it all, even though we don't know exactly what to do or exactly the timing to do it, God's love for us is true. And we can respond with that like a faith like Joseph and reflect the love that you know God to have for you and reflect that to other people. A faith and allegiance to the one, the first one, because it was our Father who first had a lasting love for us. May I close with prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. More so than that, I thank you very much for being with fellow believers. I thank you for your son being in a shining example of what we should do and who we should be like. But I also thank you for men like Joseph, for who so long ago made the decision that you were going to be at the forefront of their life, no matter if it was in a pit or in jail, controlling houses or in authority, confronting cantankerous brothers or seeing a dad who you, he hasn't seen in decades. Thank you for such examples, God, and thank you for being a God who did not only care for Joseph, who did not only care for Jesus, but also cares for us who are in this room. God, I ask that we know your mercy, that we know your grace, we also know your truth, and we hang tight to what is true, that being you and your son. We pray all of this through your son's name, Jesus. Amen.